Writer Media Group original. You're listening to Your Day Brighter, the podcast. Real reasons to have hope in this world. Hi, I'm your host, Tracy Tiernan. Before I jump into the podcast, I've got to thank our sponsors, J29 Solutions. J29, they are innovators with the right solutions for your business and a company that is committed to giving back to the community. And we are so proud to have their partnership. To connect with them, go to j29inc.com. That was pretty quick, that that second time through the Rona. COVID winner, Mike. Yeah, what, what's up with that? Hey, man, some people are just gifted that way, you know? We have to ask God the question, right? You know, I always think of um, David's words. You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Did God need to make you lie down? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I had a rough draft for my next book that was due, and I was way behind on it. And then I got covid and uh, I had to quarantine from my wife and kids. And my wife goes, did you get this on purpose so you can finish your book? <laughs> I said, I can neither confirm nor deny these allegations. That is the voice of the always amazingly brilliant, fun, authentic, profound Mike Dunahy, and I just adore him. Uh, Mike is certainly not um, sitting still any longer. Of course, 10th Avenue North has disbanded, but Mike continues to be a creative force in the world and just one of my favorite people to have a conversation with. And we just jump right into it and talk about all kinds of things. We talk about social media and how it's uh, affected our ability to really connect with God. Um, We talk about disagreement in our culture today. How can you have better disagreement? We talk about all kinds of stuff. And I just know, like me, you're going to want to take notes for this conversation because Mike has a way of just making truth so accessible. He just drops it right in there. And I'm like, oh, what did you say? I got to write that down. So (laughs) get ready to be challenged and delighted and and to grow. Um, that's that's what happens to me every time I get a chance to talk to this guy. Uh, let's jump in, Mike Dunahy. So, Mike, about that book that you worked on during your second bout with COVID, is it done? I have some semblance of a rough draft that I turned in. It, you know, books, they never feel finished. Right. Something you should have said or could have said differently, but uh, the rough draft is in and we'll see, we'll see where it goes from here. Can you give us a sneak preview? What's, what's it about? Oh yeah. 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 Uh, It's called grace in the gray, a more loving way to disagree. Okay. I am so intrigued. It's not relevant at all. I know. No, I know. (laughs) Just way late and a dollar short, you know. Come on, where was this? Where was this book back at the beginning of 2020? Um, yeah, yeah, everyone's getting along so well now, you know. I, what's stirring in your heart that prompted you to write that that book specifically? What did God teach you about a better way to disagree? Uh, well, I think it's something He's really been working on me my whole adult life that. I want to be right rather than being love, right? Mm -hmm. And I want, uh, I want to be deemed worthy um, instead of asking where I've missed it, you know. And I get defeated and defensive instead of leaning in and saying, "Yeah, tell me where I got it wrong," because I want to, I want to do better. I want to understand better. Um, Mm -hmm. So. You know, I hate that phrase. I've always hated that phrase. Well, we'll just agree to disagree. Because that that almost feels like, okay, I'm going to lay down my weapon, but I'm going to have it right here so that when the, the the ceasefire ends, I can be right back at it. Yeah. And uh, I'd rather, you know, get more inquisitive, more, more curious and kind than um, better at winning arguments. More curious and kind. I mean, that right there, boy, is that instructional. More curious and kind. Did you find yourself 
during the, you know, the heated political climate, um, the racial division. I mean, it really, it's, I think it's always been there just simmering under the surface, but yeah. it's been stirred up now. And what do we do with that? Did you find yourself in conversations that you wish you had handled better? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I live in a family that has very widely differing stances on a whole multitude of things. And I think last year, I think it was the limitation of human interaction, which is what caused the escalation. Because we just, on social media, we say things and do things and say things in ways that we would never say to someone's face. Right. And so everything just felt more intense because everyone was just sitting on their phone all day with nothing else to do but pick fights and stuff. I can't imagine how it broke the heart of God to see his kids um, just being so unkind to one another. I mean, I had, yeah. I had some of those instances as well during 2020 um, on social media where people would take something that you said and then just make all kinds of assumptions about oh, yeah. you and your faith and all kinds of things. And I, um, I've been on a social media detox right now uh, since September 5th. Um, yeah. I haven't been on at all which has made it interesting, you know, um, hosting the morning show at Shine FM and being, you know, doing all this stuff and asking my colleagues, hey, can you cover for me for a while? Because I need to not be on this at all. <laughs> I mean, I think it's important to remember that social media is still pretty much in the experimental phase. I mean, yeah. how long has it been around? I guess, was MySpace the first? Right. I had a MySpace before Facebook. And yep. that was only 2000 five maybe yeah you know so when you think about oh man social media as a teenager you know maybe we haven't got it figured out quite yet and it, and i i don't know if you've seen the social dilemma that documentary on netflix yes I mean, any parent who has a teenager or a kid who's starting to use social media you gotta watch that before you just throw them into the deep end with the sharks you know Absolutely agree with you. Uh, and yeah, that movie just, it, it, it was scary to me. And I think there's probably going to be a lot of studies done about um, how it has shaped a generation, um, shaped our brains. I felt for me like I needed to get off of it because I was doing that endless scrolling thing mm -hmm. instead of carefully curating what I want to come into my life that's quality, that's beautiful, that's good. That's yeah. edifying. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling, looking for content. And it's like the, the content isn't in the scroll. <laughs> the content is the great big world and this amazing God that's out there. And I'm looking at yeah. cat memes, you know, <laughs> my friend Carlos Whitaker just did a thing and he called it story fatigue. And he oh, said, what well, we don't realize is that if you took all the content created from the beginning of time to 2003, okay. All of that content that humanity created, that's how much content humanity is creating every two days now. Oh. So he said, he said, they're doing all these, you know, studies. And one of the statistics is that we right now ingest more social, we ingest more content via social media. We ingest more stories and content and perspective in 15 minutes than our grandparents we're exposed to in a month or something oh like that. Gosh. So you ever, do you ever feel like, Oh man, I just don't care about all the things I'm supposed to care about. And I don't, uh, you know, I'm not passionate about all the things I'm supposed to be passionate about. And now, and I'm just kind of numb because I've been assaulted by everything that's going on in every part of the world. And now I just go, what's the point of even engaging at all? And then you just kind of numb out. So I think it's important that we curate how much, what do I have capacity for? Right. And I'm like, I just, I just was joking with my wife about, it was national tight end day the other day. I was watching football and there was national <laughs> tight end. I go, how many days are there? Who's making up these days? You know, the tight ends clearly. <laughs> I declare this national Mike Donahue day. Everyone <laughs> shall post about me. <laughs> I second that motion. 
Um, okay, that's just really funny. National Tight End Day. Yeah, you know, in radio, we get these crazy calendars sent to us about it's National Oreo Cookie Day. It's, you know, it's National Eat Peanut Butter Out of the Jar with a Spoon Day. It's, yeah, it's it's too much. And you just have a way of articulating. Like, sometimes I feel like the few times I've spoken to you, I'm like, I feel like you're like in my journal because what you just said so beautifully about the numbing Mm -hmm. feeling of being like assaulted with so much stuff that I don't care about what I'm supposed to care about that to me right there. That was the warning sign to me that I, I need to step away um, and, and simplify really what I'm taking in. I, I don't have time to linger over the things that mm. I should be lingering over. It's not, it's not about quantity, how much, how much, how much, but I, I mean, don't you believe that God has called us to linger and to savor some things? I, I think about what it says of, of Jesus, Jesus's mother, Mary, about, you know, when things were revealed to her about Jesus, she said she, it says she pondered them and treasured them in her heart. Um, can you imagine if she were just scrolling? <laughs> yeah, so I wrote this song. This song never came out, but I was thinking about how prayer, the reason we don't pray, at least the reason I don't pray, is because it feels like a gigantic waste of time. Hmm. Like I start praying and I go, man, there's so many other better things I could be accomplishing with this time. Yeah. And I, I'll never forget, I think it was George McDonald. I can't remember who it was, but he said, the days I wake up and I have even more to do, I pray twice as long. Wow. I that much more grace. And What's really helped me is I don't think of prayer anymore. Sorry, I've really gone on a tangent here. but Oh, I love it. No. I don't think of prayer as something I have to do anymore as much as I think of it as a space I need to create. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Not something uh, I, I'm not checking it off of. I will, I'm doing this, but I'm creating a space to commune with God. Yeah. And... And the thing is, prayer, just as much as it's me talking to God, it's me waiting and listening for him. And I know sometimes it can be frustrating. You create that space to pray to God and you don't hear anything. And then yeah. the next day you don't hear anything. And the next day you don't hear anything. But you know what's funny is when I'm diligent to create that space, even when I, ha I have the frustration of not hearing anything from God for many days on end, those days string together like a river of peace and what happens is is even if i didn't hear from god at the end of the week or month or whatever it's been there's a peace that starts underlying my soul because i go well i know that if god wanted to say something to me i know i gave him the chance to wow. um so i, I want to play this chorus uh that I we wrote hear it. this song never came out and it goes uh time's never wasted when i wasted on you my life's here waiting when I wait here for you. My time is my gift I pour out like perfume. Time's never wasted when I waste it on you. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that's that. I mean, Ugh. like that idea of because it doesn't feel like you're wasting time. So I just want to acknowledge it and go, but hey, just like that woman with the perfume, if I wait, my time is my most valuable resource. Right. Even though it feels like I'm wasting it on God, it's never wasted uh, when I waste it on him. Oh my gosh, it touches my heart so much. And I love that chorus. Um, I have a closet in the room that I'm in right now, that is literally my prayer closet. Uh, I, I do morning radio. So I'm up pretty early. So I get up at 3 AM um, because I need to, I know, right. What in the world? <laughs> who does that? A girl who's desperate. <laughs> I, I desperately need him. I literally know. And sometimes Mike, it's, it's so, it's so comforting to talk to um, other Jesus followers who express what you just did, that sometimes it just feels like nothing is happening but that's not yeah. going to deter me from doing it. Like sometimes I'm literally so bleary eyed and tired at 3 AM. And I just, I, I'm, I, I don't have any words. I'm like, I can't even see the pages. I'm trying to read my Bible. My vision is jacked up and I'm just like, I'm going to have an awesome quiet time. It's going to be so great. And it's nothing. And it feels yeah. like nothing. And it's those days 
that the the grace is just it's immeasurable you know mm -hmm. like he 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 carried me through that it's never because he didn't show up it's never because yeah, yeah. he wasn't god um i i in my human capacity don't have the ability to understand and interact with his glory every moment and he's so honoring and gracious to just be in that quiet space with me. I, I literally felt like sometimes, like I literally had nothing to say. And that was like the best quiet time in the world, just sitting and listening and letting him hold me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The practice of doing that every day. It's, it's good to be reminded of it because gosh, sometimes we just want to hear him speak a word to us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that's like the whole brother Lawrence thing, practicing the presence of God. Just yeah. pra practicing, believing that God's in and around what you're doing. Because that, you know, that's the whole idea is you make, you create these spaces of just dedicated time to listening. And then that starts to bleed over and you find yourself leaning in. Something my wife and I are really working on right now is we have four daughters, you know, so pray for us. And um, <laughs> we're trying to, when, our, when one of our children flip a lid, we're tr number one, we're trying not to escalate with them. Like we've tried to make this commitment to never raise our voices, which is really hard because you just wow. have to match their energy. And a lot of times when a kid's flipping out, they want, they're, they're subconsciously asking, are you going to be with me if I'm crazy? Uh, and so what we've been trying to do is just take that pause and say, okay, I believe the Holy Spirit lives in us. Holy Spirit what should we say? What should we do? Like, what should the consequence be? You know, because so easy, we just make these rules, these harsh rules. And, you know, Galatians yeah. said, we're, we're freed up. We have the spirit of God now. So we don't live under the law like we used to. And, uh, and we live by the spirit. And so what does that mean? It means constantly leaning in. And I get why people don't want to live by the spirit because it actually, it's, it's actually, it's it create it creates the demand for constant communion and, and right. people, people don't want that that's what i've kind of realized uh, that you know i wrote this whole book right the finding god's life for my will hey it's me mike hey. and <laughs> my whole thing was like people would rather have god's will for their life than his life for their will they'd mm -hmm. rather have a plan than his presence it's kind of like i've likened it to I would rather have God print out the map quest directions to me and hand them to me and go, okay, see you later. Have a good life. Then have and him in the cockpit, <laughs> have him in the passenger seat going, okay, I got the next direction. Okay. Tell me God. Well, I'm not going to tell you until you get there, man. Okay. Turn right now. <laughs> God, tell me earlier. <laughs> tell me earlier, God. That's so no. true. If I gave you all the directions all once, you would stop listening to my voice. And the whole point isn't that you just be awesome for me. I don't need you to be awesome for me. I'm awesome. I can do it without you. The whole reason I want you a part of what I'm doing is because I want intimacy with you, right? When that flips, that God wants our intimacy and not our production, that's a, that is a monumental shift um, that's essential for joy. For Have you been on both sides of that, Mike? I mean, as a, an artist? Every and a day. Yeah, is every that right? day, and that's—I <laughs> mean—that's the point. Like that's yeah. the point that the the intimacy, the communion thing—you don't get a day off on that. Gosh, I just—it's so—it's so profound what you're saying. We don't get a day off from that intimacy. He wants it all the time, and you're right. We're terrified of that because it's—it's it's like all up in my business. Knowing, you know, every thought, every thought in my head before it's on my tongue, like just all up in my business. But isn't that beautiful? This, yeah, this is what this is what I realized. And I'm writing this book about disagreement, right? And this is what I've realized. And and my new album, Flourish, is kind of the same thing. We would rather have the gospel and Jesus be a lens through which we look at the world, and then we can figure the world out, right? Like a magnifying right. glass on the world. Okay. I see you, world. Oh, I know what's going on. I know all the secrets of God. I know the secret plan. That's why people love those revelation prophecies. And I know when the end of the world is. People love that right. stuff because I figured it out. I have the secret. But I think Jesus meant to come 
to turn that magnifying glass inward and and search me oh god and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and i just think i think the gospel works much better as a microscope on our own soul than a telescope on the world wow wow like examine me not i'm going to tell the world how they've got it wrong the courage to hear when you pray that prayer, that's a dangerous prayer. I mean, that is a beautiful prayer, you know, but we, we can borrow from the best of them. We can borrow from David and we can pray that prayer, but it takes courage to linger and actually listen to God show you. And I think that shame has so marred uh, so, so many people shame that it's the filter through which we, we think we hear God and he's not showing us that wicked way in us to shame us as much as he is to heal us. I've gotten that really confused in my life. You know, like right. I want to hear what he says about me and I want to grow and I want to be transformed by his love. But I have like this, this constant like shame uh, filter that I got to get rid of so that I can hear him. Um, I've always thought Mike that with um, your way of, understanding um, the world, your way of, I guess, your way of thinking deeply about things. I always wondered if you were going to, um, I don't know, be a church planter, you know, like I could, I, I mean, pastoring, preaching with, with all of the different ways that you communicate truth and beauty in the world. What do you feel most connected to? Is it is it still music, or where do you see all of this going for you? Yeah, man, great question. Right, and um, thank you. Uh, you know, Frederick Beekner said your calling is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Oh, right? yeah. So, yeah. I'm not only trying to ask what does the world need. If I only ask that, I'll get burnt out. Um, and I don't only ask what does make me come alive because if I only ask that question, I'll become a narcissistic jerk. But if I ask what makes me come alive and how can I do that in a way that meets the world's needs, that's where we get fulfilled. And uh, so right now, you know, it's funny when, when my band all decided to break up, cause that's uh, I'm trying to use every chance I get to talk to let people know that, that we're fans of 10th Avenue North that uh, I actually came right before the pandemic hit and right before our spring tour. And I told the band, I said, Hey, I, I got to take a break. My wife and I have been talking and I said, all of you guys have taken breaks before and we got to fill in. I've never had a break. I've never, <sighs> never taken time off. And I always joke, 10th Avenue North was always successful enough to keep going, but never successful enough to take a hiatus. <laughs> you know, Were you like, exhausted, Mike? Were you just yeah. exhausted? I, well, you know, honestly, I, I love doing it. I love playing music and concerts and speaking and teaching and doing the whole thing. So, I wasn't that exhausted. My wife was exhausted. Oh, bless her. Oh my and gosh. My kids, my kids needed me. Yeah. And uh, I said, I, I love doing it, but I've, I've done it too much. I've done it in an unhealthy way. Wow. And I had to own that. And I came to the band and said, I think the clip at which we're going is it's, it's just unsustainable for me as my kids get older and they need more of me. And it was crazy. All the band guys go, actually, glad you said that because I feel like I have a new assignment and I was quitting at the end of this tour. Oh, my God. Every single one of them. All, <laughs> and it, it was such a freedom because I kind of carried this burden of I have to provide for all these guys. Right. I have to show up. And if I don't show up, we don't play the show and they, they don't get paid. And so it was such wow. a burden lifted off of me of God going, Mike. I'm going to, if I call you to something, I'm going to give you the grace to do it in a healthy way. Wow. And I'm not going to call you to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. So I said, okay, here we go. And so our, our spring tour became our farewell tour, became our canceled by COVID tour. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, and in fact, all my bandmates said, I would, we would love for you to keep calling yourself 10th Avenue North. You, we give you permission. Like, you don't have to whatever. And I just went back to him. I go, if I'm going to keep making music, 
it, it's a whole different band. You guys are all quitting. I'm not going to dishonor you by saying this is the same thing. Wow. Uh, so, and they appreciated that. And it might not have been the smartest thing financially or branding wise. Um, but at the time, I really didn't know if I was even going to keep making music. And then during the pandemic, what do you do if you're a songwriter except write songs? It is so interesting to hear how this, uh, this time of pandemic all around the world has produced some amazing art because creative people had some time to actually create, you know. Um, I'm going to jump back in here for just a moment because I want to tell you more about our sponsors, J29 Solutions. This amazing company can do so many things to help your business. They're innovators with leading experts in technology and processes, and they, they can help you with everything from staffing to data analysis. They could do Medicare claims, health and human services. The thing that impresses me the most about J29, it's their commitment to their people and their community. I just love this. Tracy Mills founded her company on the principle in her favorite scripture. It's one of mine too, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's hope that she wants to give to people by giving back to the community. She tithes J29's earnings back to nonprofits that align with their company's values each month. I think that is just amazing. And I feel so grateful and blessed to have J29 Solutions as our sponsor for Your Day Brighter. Now, Tracy's putting a challenge out there to other businesses. Join her. Be a part of giving back to your community, too. We were created to make a difference. To connect with Tracy Mills from J29 Solutions, go to j29inc.com. So, Mike, this time of quarantine and shutdown, uh, what do songwriters do? You said they write songs. And so you had some time on your hands and you did a little bit of writing. I wrote a, a hundred songs. I wrote more songs. I definitely wrote at least a hundred songs. I wrote more songs I ever written. And I went, I guess I'm probably not done with the music. <laughs> oh my gosh. So once people start telling me my songs aren't good and don't speak to them, I'll probably go do something else. Or maybe, you know, I don't know. God could call me something else tomorrow, but. Uh, at the moment, I feel like I'm supposed to keep making music. I'm so glad to hear you say that because your, your music is your, I, I told you this before, um, when we talked a few months ago, your album flourish is, I think it's brilliant. I think it's just, I think it's brilliant lyrically and just the, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You have so much inside of you. So I'm really, really happy to hear that you're still making music and writing songs when you've written a hundred or more songs uh, during this past season. How do you pick the ones that you're going to pursue to record? I mean, and, and how do you remember them all? Do you record them on your phone? What do you do? I know. I mean, I'll just show you my voice memos right now. Oh this yeah. Is, let's see. <laughs> I mean, these are just, these are just, let's see if I can get it where it's, yeah. I mean, watch this. The, uh, here we go. Oh, these are just, these, ideas. Are, all songs? these are, these, these are, are, are song, song ideas, ideas mostly. mostly. Oh just, my goodness, goodness, Mike. Going. Oh my goodness. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> That's amazing. It's it a blessing and a curse. Because you just, so many so times I go back to it and I go, oh, there's some good stuff in there. I should use that. Um, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> a lot of it is you just start playing it for people. And, and, and you know, I, I kind of fleshed out 50 demos of the songs. You know, I kind of weeded through the 100 that I'd written and said, I think these 50 are pretty good. And because, uh, you know, just because I wrote 100 songs doesn't mean any of them were any good. So I... And then I'd play them for a group of people and then manager and label people and friends. And then you kind of start weeding them out. You know, people tend to gravitate toward a certain few. And, okay. You know. Is and that I, vulnerable for you when you're like, you you got all these songs and you're like, what do you think of this one? What about not, this one? Not anymore. I remember when I wrote my first book, my editor was, was confounded at how well I received criticism because I guess a lot of authors are very precious about their manuscript. Yeah. And I go, oh, that's just from songwriting for 20 years. Because when you <laughs> when you co-write, you show up and you go, hey, do you like this part of my soul? And the person goes, oh, no, I hate that. Like, <laughs> okay, here's another part of my soul. 
Would you like this part? No, that's awful. Yeah, that's awful. That part of my soul is stupid. Here's another part of my soul. Oh, I like that. Oh, you like this part? Okay. And you just have to get used to just because it's precious to you doesn't mean it's communicating to someone else. You know. <laughs> Do you like that part of my soul? That is so... Oh my gosh, that's so true. And I think I read recently, Mike, that that songwriting for you was also like during the pandemic. I think you likened it to like a life raft. Like you were you were helping yourself get through a, a really difficult time in the world. Well, you 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 write songs like you're building a raft for yourself to get off an island, uh, and it becomes a life raft for other people. Uh, the best songwriting is free therapy. I mean, <laughs> it, David says in Psalm 49, I've said this a bunch, but he says, I listen to wisdom with the music of the lyre. I will solve my riddle. So oh, I, I always no. said songwriting for David was unriddling himself. Cause he said, this is what my heart feels, but this is what God says is true. And they're not, jiving together and so songwriting is that process of weaving together my heart and god's truth to be on the same page mm. Mm. how has god changed your heart and or your mind about some things that you were sure this is how you felt this was your opinion and then COVID happened and now you're like I mean, not just COVID. I just, I feel like God continually, he uses whatever to continually uproot what I thought I was so certain of. I love what Tim Keller, Tim Keller makes this, um, he, he's advocating for the truth of, the, of scripture. He goes, you have to have a truth outside yourself because if you think about yourself 15 years ago, you were an idiot. <laughs> he goes, and 15 years from now, you're going to look back at yourself now and say, you are an idiot, which means you're an idiot now by your own estimation, not by anyone else's. By you, 15 years from now, we'll look at yourself now and say, you are an idiot. So <laughs> you need some sort of objective truth outside of you to center you, to ground you. And yeah. But it's funny, the parts of God's of the scripture that I thought were so important when I was 20. I don't for I mean, for instance, I was militant seven point Calvinist when I was 20 years old, I was just hyper predestination. God is sovereign. I thought Arminians were stupid. Didn't read their Bibles. Uh, <laughs> and then you get older and, and older and you go, man, there, there is this cooperation from humans that is you you can't deny it and and you can use different words for it and so now as i'm older i go predestination you know arminian man's free will god's sovereign are you humble you know you ask a different question you go if the result of your theology is making you arrogant then you're on a wrong right. track if it's it's if it's producing profound humility in you and graciousness toward others, then it's probably serving you well. Ah, yes, that so that you're kind of, like you're looking at the like Jesus said, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. That, what's that's, the, that's how you know if you're on the right track or not. What's the fruit um, that is that you would say is a a growth area for you right now? Hmm, fruit. So the fruit is, we talked about social media, because um, I'm always going back and forth. I should, I'm just giving up on it. I'm just quitting social media. I'm not doing it at all. And one of the fruit is doing social media, but doing it in a different way. You know, I have kids all the time. They go, how do I, how do I grow my social media? How do I get like a thousand followers? And first I go, well, then what? Well, then I'll, then I'll, then I'll, you know, be able to, get a record deal well then what well then i'll get my song on the radio then what well then i'll go tour well then what well then you know <laughs> and you start realizing that you you want the effects of living out your gift instead of just working on living out your gift because if all you want to do is bless people with your music you can do that anytime anywhere 
Yes. And, and I like to say, how many followers you got? I only have 784 followers on Instagram. I go, dude, you're crushing Jesus. Way to go. Jesus only had 12. Man, that's awesome. So as you think about this area of growth, I mean, I'm so tracking with you. I've got to come up with a plan to reemerge from my social media detox. And I've decided that I will never do it the way that I did it before. As you said, frantically yeah. posting, um, looking for likes or affirmations, or is this hitting or is this connecting? And um, it's too much pressure. And I, I can only imagine the pressure that you might feel when, uh, you know, do you, do you get pressure from the business side oh, of what you yeah. do? Yeah. If I, if I, like if I owned a donut shop in Greece, I would just go to the ocean every day. I'd walk to the village, see if anybody needs anything. I'd never be on social media. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> and so here's what I realized is a lot of times we go to social media to, to, to get from people instead yeah. of to give to people. Yeah. And I'm constantly frustrating label management, everyone. Oh, you got to post more. You got to post more. You got to post more. And I got, oh, so hit square between the eyes. I was listening to Francis Chan talk on this podcast and the host was asking him why he doesn't have any social media. Francis Chan doesn't have any social media. And it's funny. He's a very well-known evangelist. I mean, most people in Christian circles know who he is. Yeah. He's never had social media. Wow. And he said, well, I went to China and the house church leaders that were the most influential in China were the most hidden because they had to be. And I just, wow. that just hit me so hard of, I don't, I don't really believe God's in charge of my influence or my, you know, multiplication of my gift, right? But that's all on me. And I, I have to show up. I have to risk. I have to work. But as a Christian, right, we don't work for rest one day. We work from rest now. So if I could, if I could post from a place of rest, I think everyone would be better off. Post from a place of rest that's um, secure, um, that you are loved and known and seen, um, that you have purpose and dignity and value, that you have something to contribute to the world, and that you are loved apart from anything that you do. Uh, and that, cha that changes the way you interact with other people on social media. Yeah. Because right? now you, you, you are pouring out you're not needing them to fill you, right? So when someone slams you, criticizes you, says they hate you, you know, the old saying, if you're living for their approval, then you'll die by their rejection. <laughs> so I go, okay, cool, you reject me. Instead of getting defensive, I'm coming from a place of being loved. So that allows me the space, going back to space, to get curious and kind instead of defensive and defeated. Right. So I'm love. And so then I, so it really just usually means I just ask another question. Oh, interesting. Oh, so you, man, you hate that I posted about that. Okay. Well, what's going on with you? And it's, it's incredible when I don't defend my position to people on social media, I just keep asking questions. Yeah. The, the, Tension usually resolves itself. It's rather disarming, isn't it? Yeah, people eventually get, well, actually, oh, sorry I said that, man. I, <laughs> my, my my parents got divorced or, you know, this happened or whatever. And yes, mm -hmm. there's always more going on. Always more going on. Um, Mike, when is your book, your, your book coming out about disagreement? It's coming out next fall. It's a long way away. A long so. way to wait. Okay. But I have a feeling we'll still be disagreeing come <laughs> next fall. I'm not too worried about. I'm not too. It's funny how sometimes you write and you're worried. Oh, it's, this isn't going to be relevant by the time it comes right. out. You know, because as songwriters, we write songs and then people won't hear them for years after we wrote them. And uh, I, go, <laughs> ah, 
think I'll I think I'll be relevant on this <laughs> one, no matter when it comes out. I think it will too. Hey, I've got two more questions for you. The first one yeah. is um, I've got a million questions for you. I could I could talk. You are honestly just dear to me. You don't know this, but I feel very like maternal. Like I just I think you're amazingly gifted by God and one of the the great thinkers in in our generation. And it always takes me back when I have a conversation with you. Like I feel like I just need to sit and journal and be with the Lord. And I'm really hoping that that people who are going to get to watch and listen to this podcast are going to take uh, some of these things, these ideas that you have shared with us and just really sit with it. I, f I feel like we are on the verge of um, God is doing a new thing and we can be a part of it. We can um, let him have his way or we can fight it kicking and screaming. But one way or the other, things are changing and we are, are changed mm -hmm. forever because of all the stuff that we've been through. I'm grateful for you and your and your ministry and your heart. And I pray for you. What have you learned about <laughs> what have you learned about women being in a house with five of them? <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm coughing at Bless this you. question. Well, I grew up in a house with three sisters and a mom. So I feel as prepared for the situation as one could be. Uh -huh. I do have four daughters now and a wife and a dog that's a girl. I mean, oh my gosh. Quite outnumbered. I think <laughs> the biggest thing that I've learned is do not escalate when they escalate. You just stay the course. And <laughs> it is amazing how, <laughs> this is my new saying about raising kids. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, they say to say something or do something repeatedly over and over and expect a different result is the definition of insanity and parenting. <laughs> that is one of I mean, will you please, please just close the refrigerator door when you, when you take something out of it. Just, just that I've had to say that 1600 times in the last two months. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think, I am constantly learning. That's all I can say. Mm. I, I, the second I think I got it figured out. Um, and my two big, my two big aspirations as a dad is I want to be interested in them and interested in what they're interested in. Um, Cause I, I know too many dads who waited too long. They waited till their kids were adults to be interested in them. And so, for instance, my one daughter is reading this dragon book series that is just ridiculous, but it's really important to her. So I'm reading it, you know, oh, that's and, great. Uh, and I could just tell when I told her, hey, I'm on book seven. I mean, if they're thinking 14 of these books. I go, I'm on book seven. And she just, you know, you could tell she just couldn't believe that I've been reading all these books. Um, so be great. interested in what they're interested in and just delight in them. Like if, if my, I feel like if my girls and my wife, right. If they just felt like I'm interested in and genuinely delight in them. Yeah. I think that'll probably cover over a whole multitude of sins where I get it wrong. <laughs> I will I get it wrong. <laughs> I think you're right though. Yeah. Being interested and delighting in, and that probably does apply for you and your relationship with, with Kelly as well. How long have you guys been married? Uh, 13 years. 13 years. Oh, and to any guy listening to this. Yeah. Feel it. Don't fix it. Ooh. You're welcome. <laughs> Which, you know what's fascinating? Isn't that what Jesus did? God could have come up with a different redemption plan where he didn't have to come and walk the earth for 30 years. Hmm. But he felt it before he fixed it. Even, I mean, he was a human for wow. what we can tell, didn't do any miracles for 30 years. But what's he trying to say about that? That a lot of times the reason social media goes so, I'm harping on social media because we were talking about it, but it's because we think we can swoop in and give an answer to someone that we have not spent any time with, we have not cultivated any relationship with, and then we're going to tell them how to live their life. Mm -hmm. And I go, it tends to me 
that when I'm sharing my faith with someone, if they're asking me to tell them about it, it goes much better than if I just pound down their door and start barking at them. Yeah. Yeah. If you're living a life that is um, just bearing that beautiful fruit in the world, right? Then it piques other people's curiosity. Talk to, talked about curiosity. When other people are curious about the way that you live and wanting to know, like, what's What's your deal? What's underneath all of that? What a beautiful invitation that is to then be able to to share him. It, Paul says to Timothy, uh, I think it's to Timothy. He says, "Be prepared, like to defend the hope that you have in you." Yeah. And I like because when, when I hear defend, defend the faith, defend the faith, and all that, they're not they're attacking with the faith, but to defend your hope when you're asked. That's basically what Paul's saying. People, when they go, why are, why do you have so much hope? Be prepared to give an answer to that. But mm. that means live in a way where people are curious about your hope. You know, yes, that yes. Just, that takes that usually takes building relationship, and it takes the sort of again time, like to minister. I'm always, when I'm, I'm reading through the Gospels. I'm really overwhelmed by Jesus's ability to embrace the ministry of interruption is what I say in my book that he's constantly being, he's constantly on his way somewhere and being interrupted. And how many of his miracles were him being interrupted? <laughs> and he didn't go, oh, ah, come on. I got something more important to do. He's always embracing the, the interruption, which uh, I think if Jesus didn't hold tight to his schedule and his plan. I'm not saying those things are important, but we got to learn from him. We got to learn from him. Imagine how much uh, freedom we would feel, um, how much less stress, how much less stressed out people there'd be. Well, what, did, if, what, did Mother, what did Mother Teresa say? I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but she oh, said, no. uh, she said, uh, they go, how do you treat all these sick and leprous people? And she goes, well, you know, I'm always treating Jesus. Like Jesus said, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And Jesus just wears some very distressing disguises sometimes. Wow. And so I think a lot of times we miss the chance to minister to Jesus because he doesn't doesn't look like the kind of opportunity we were signing up for. Oh yeah, people are the point. They're they're not the interruption. They're the they're the point of it all, aren't they? Yeah. I, when we were touring as a band, we were constantly going, gosh, I want to treat the security guard and the merch volunteer and the, the raving fan and the, I want to treat them all the same. Yeah. Like I want to, I want to treat everyone with that dignity and interest. Amen to that. So Mike, do you have any, you got your guitar right there with you. Oh yeah. And you have like this old thing, that old thing <laughs> you got, what are you feeling on your heart today? You want to, you want to sing a little something? I suppose so. Hmm. Uh, this this song. My band breaks up. Quarantine happens. At home, frustrated as I'll get out. Completely resistant to the situation that God had put me in. And uh, I said, "No, God, I I hate this." I hate quarantine. I hate that my tour is canceled. I hate that I'm here. During quarantine, God really opened up my eyes to see all the years that I was on tour that when I would get home, I wasn't actually home. My brain was still on tour. And so as things have started opening up slowly but surely, people keep going, I can't wait till we get back to normal. I can't wait to get till we get back to normal. And I keep saying, I don't ever want to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to that because I was so blind to so much mm. that I didn't even know was right in front of me. Wow. And I read a couple different things and I amalgamized this quote. And that is the secret to having peace is when we learn to embrace our current circumstance as if we had chosen it. Oh, so yeah. Until you choose where you are, I'm not saying you choose the way that it all happened, but until you choose where you find yourself, you're a victim to your own life. Wow. 
but you you rob victimhood of its power the second you say, "I choose to be here." It's 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 impossible to be a victim at that point because now you are engaged in your present. And C.S. Lewis said in the Screw Tape Letters, "The present is the only point where time touches eternity, because then will only ever be now. There is no then; it will be now. Then is now." Um, so this is my. God, don't let me go back to normal songs. I want to hear heaven when my daughter laughs And feel the spirit every time we dance When we dance She always wants to dance Cause I've been busy, been making plans I have a way of living in my head, in my head, like I'm outside looking in. But I'm waking up, I've lost too much, I'm waking up. Every sunrise, oh, 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 every night sky, oh, 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 the magic that's right here, waiting, but I've been asleep. There's glory that I couldn't see. Waking up. Yes. Amen. Wake up to the glory that's all around you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Oh, Mike Donahue, thank you so much um, for your time, for your gift, for your heart. I'm such a fan and um, just really appreciate you so much, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. Always a pleasure. Did you take notes? <laughs> I know I did. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mike Dunahay. And I just want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you're part of our regular community of listeners, welcome back. And if you're new to us, just so glad to have you here. Would you share the podcast with somebody that needs to hear it? Help us to uh, spread it around. If you're able, leave a review because that's the, the way that people can find the podcast. And we really appreciate that as well. Your Day Brighter is produced by Tracy Tiernan and John Lohan for Brighter Media Group. Special thanks to our wonderful team, Todd Gaddy, Caroline Burke, Aaron Branham, Julie Gilligan, and Hannah Baldwin. You guys are the best. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, tell somebody your story today, or better yet, ask to hear theirs. <laughs>